Take your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John, please. Chapter 19, Mark, John, John chapter 19. And we will look there in just a few moments. Years and years ago, I took the staff to a a pastor's conference. There were about 6,000 people there, mostly pastors and other Christian leaders and churches. And uh, the conference went on. It was late at night, probably about 9.45 at night. And so because of the number of people, the restaurants kind of knew that people were going to be out there because they had it at the same time every year. And so the restaurants were, were overrun. It didn't matter if it was a Wendy's or it was an Outback. The restaurants were just just packed. And so we went into a McDonald's to grab something and go back to the room and, and uh, try to get some rest. Up in front of me about, uh, I don't know, it was a big line. I'm telling you, it, it was packed as you ever see a McDonald's. And almost everybody in the line there was from the conference. About three people in front of me, there was a, a man that I knew. We weren't friends, but I knew who he was from another ministry. And I said, that's, that's Brother So-and-so, uh, great big old fella. And um, because it took a while to, to process the orders and so forth with all of the people, um, I had time to observe him, but I wasn't trying to observe him. I couldn't help but observe him, not because of his size, but because of his noise. He was a very loud man. He was a very arrogant man. He was a very obnoxious man. And um, just talking and, and very noisy. And, and I remember thinking, this man is just full of himself. He just seems to be very arrogant. And we kind of snailed and slowly made our way up to the counter, and I was still three people back from him. By that time, I was curious about about him. I didn't know him personally, but I knew who he was. And he got up to the counter and, and blessed their hearts. Man, this was, they, they were swamped with all the people in there, and they were scrambling to get the orders. And he was very demanding. He was very negative. And um, just making comments to the people around him. He didn't know who the people are, but at a pastor's conference like that, most people had suits and you know so he kind of was looking at his own kind um, making comments about the people behind there how slow they were and then he had the audacity to pull out a gospel tract and give it to the people behind there and I was embarrassed I was embarrassed first of all for for him I was embarrassed second for the rest of us who 80 90 percent of all of us in there were going to be associated with him because of his brusqueness, because of his rudeness, because of his lack of Christian etiquette, his, his lack of Christianity, period. I was embarrassed for the church because when we left, the people behind there lived in that city and everybody knew the conference was held at that church and the stigma that was going to be left after we left with the people behind there that lived in that city for that church. 
of a lack of, of kindness, a lack of, of proper behavior. Most of all, I was sad for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that he needs pity, but what is associated with him because of, of that particular man's lack of say, witness, lack of witness, and what was assigned to the name of the Lord. I went up to the counter. I happened to have the same uh, lady waiting on me that was waiting on him. And I said, uh, kind lady, I want to apologize for that man earlier. I said, we're not all like that. I'm very sorry he treated you that way. And and uh, she said, oh, it's okay. Sometimes I get that. I said, I understand. I'm sorry for that. And I believe the gospel. I believe in passing out tracts. I believe in witnessing to people with all of my soul. But sometimes the way we live shouts so loud that people cannot hear what we're saying or read what we give them. Some people that embrace the name of Jesus and profess to follow him do not reflect his heart. And we leave a trail sometimes where that people not only have rejected Christ, but the people that we influence under our tutelage They gain a misunderstanding of what it truly means to be a Christian. They're confused. They get mixed messages. I didn't wish this on this this man, the man that was up there with his brusqueness and rudeness. I didn't wish this on him, but I must admit that I was not surprised that a few years later, maybe three years later, that his marriage broke up and he was involved in adultery and his wife left him. I mean, who wants to put up with that? He wasn't even faithful to her. It's at the cross of Jesus we learn the heart of Jesus. Listen, and what it looks like, listen, what it looks like to be his follower. It's given to us in the word of God. But even at the cross when he died for us, redemptively to pay our sins, we learn some things about what it looks like to be his follower. We've been going through the seven statements of Jesus when he died on the cross. They're so powerful. The first three statements he made were statements about others. The last three statements, which we're going to start on the the fifth one, the first of the last three, were about himself. The middle statement, which I preached maybe five sermons on, which is really the core of the gospel, was about, about Jesus and God. It was about the core of the gospel, about the work of Christ. When he said, why have you forsaken me? The first thing he said was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was about others. Then he said, Today to the thief, thou shalt, shalt thou be with me in paradise. He said, I, I want to go to paradise. And he repented of his sin. And that was about others. The third one was about others. When he looked at his mother and 
He spoke to her and he spoke to his friend, John, disciple John, woman, behold thy son. He was talking to John and then he addressed John, behold thy mother. And then the middle one, the the fourth one, addressed both God and himself and the work that he was accomplishing as my substitute, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then there were three, these are very brief, but they say so much about the heart of God, not just his work, but his heart. And he said, I thirst. This was the only one when he talked about his suffering, about his physical suffering. And this dealt with himself, specifically his body. And then the next statement was, it is finished. And again, this dealt with his self and this dealt with his soul. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, the Bible says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him, that is, the Lord Jesus. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul, his soul, an offering for sin. He not only gave his body for you, he gave his soul for you. The last statement on the cross dealt with his spirit when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You see, when Jesus died, he didn't just he didn't just bear your sin debt, though he did that, he gave everything he listen, he gave everything that he had to be an offering, your sin offering, his body, his soul, and his spirit, everything that he had. He gave it all. Not just so that you could go to heaven, but so that you could live like Him. May I put it this way? So you know how to behave in McDonald's. So you can behave in your home. So you can behave in the church. He didn't want to just give you a new destiny. He wanted to give you a new heart and to transform your life. And it's at the cross where the heart of Jesus is revealed and I gain what it looks like to be his follower. And I understand his heart by considering his death at the cross. And I want you to look with me in John chapter 19 and we'll look at two of these sayings. I'm just going to speak to part of one today and finish this later. John chapter 19, notice in verse 28. John 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus now, in in chronological order, after this is after Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's coming out of the darkness after 3 p.m. in the afternoon. He's been from 9 to 3. This is right before the Lord Jesus physically expires. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. If you uh, have a pen, you may want to underline accomplished. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Underline fulfilled. And he saith, I thirst. Those are his words. That's the shortest thing he said on the cross. I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. Notice that, a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop 
and put it to his mouth. The cross was maybe three or four feet, the, the body of the Lord up above them. Hyssop was a, a little stick, if you will, uh, with some branches. And they put the sponge, they attached it to that stick, and the soldier reached up and applied it to his lips. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, he's not drinking anything, he just applied to his lips. He said, it is finished. This is the sixth statement. We'll not deal with this for now, but later. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Now, there are three qualities of Jesus that we see in this text in John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, when he said, I thirst, and they're qualities that ought to be reflected in our life as our Savior, as He saves us, not just from our sins, but from ourselves. And I want to give you one thought today, as we see the obedience of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus. I ask you to underline two words there, verse 28. The Bible says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, accomplished in Scripture might be fulfilled, fulfilled. The word accomplished there means that something is coming to completion. It means the end of a task. It, 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 to put it in our parlance, it has the idea of having a to-do list and you're checking off an item that's been finished. It's accomplished. That's been done. The word fulfilled means to, to fully complete, to perfectly finish. It's very similar, almost a synonym, but it's a little bit different. And here he, he's fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. He is fulfilling what God has said in the Old Testament. Because everything, everything that Jesus did in his life was in complete obedience to his heavenly Father and to the Word of God because He was the incarnate Word of God. For example, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Because in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible said He would. Why did Jesus' parents take Him from Bethlehem to Egypt and flee to Egypt? Because the Old Testament prophesied that He would do that. Why did Jesus grow up in Nazareth where that was his hometown? He was born in Bethlehem, but that was not his hometown. But why did he grow up in Nazareth? Because the Old Testament prophesied that, and Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies that were related to his mission. In John nineteen twenty eight, the Bible says that knowing, he was knowing that all these things were now accomplished and that scripture might be fulfilled. And here's the idea that this was not just the, the, the fulfilling of these prophecies, but that he was obedient to these prophecies. I was reading in my devotions this past week in Psalm 22. I, I would commend you to that when David was going through a hard time and David wrote this about himself. Psalm 22 is about David's trial and how he felt. But it's a messianic psalm where it speaks about Jesus. And 
Crucifixion was not a Jewish idea. It was a Roman idea. In fact, some people believe that the Romans borrowed it from someone else and the Romans perfected crucifixion in its cruelest form. They had different variations. In fact, Peter was crucified upside down and they perfected crucifixion in a very cruel way. And so when you read Psalm 22, Jesus is all over, but it's about David But Jesus is there and he is fulfilling these Old Testament pictures of himself there. I just pulled out two verses for us to look at very quickly. In Psalm 22 and verse 14, he says this, and David is saying, this is how I felt. This is encouraging. Listen, David was a man after God's own heart and he felt this way. But this is the way Jesus was on the cross, Psalm 22, 14. I am poured out like water. Notice the metaphors like. And all my bones are out of joint. Not broken, because that was prophesied. Not a bone would be broken. But they're out of joint. If you've ever had that happen, you know how painful that is. My heart is like wax. (coughs) It is melted in the midst of my bowels. I think David there, when he wrote it, he was speaking metaphorically that this is the way I feel. But I think this literally happened to Jesus. When the soldier pierced his side in John 19, the Bible says water came out. Your heart is surrounded by a pericardium. It's a, like a God has given a, a, a cushion around it. Like your, your car has, has certain portions there. Around the frame, so that when you you, you hit um, different places in the road that are rough, that it cushions you. And the pericardium is one of those purposes. And the Bible says that out came blood and water, blood and water. It was a very milky substance, blood and water. That's a pericardium. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. It's heart. Jesus literally died of a broken heart, not just emotionally, but physically. Because all the blood is gone from the legs and the crucifixion is in the upper body. And he continues there, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. That's a fragment of of pottery, of, of dry clay pottery. That they find out in the desert somewhere. That's that's how my strength is. It's just dry. It's dusty. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The night before he was in Gethsemane, he had a meal with his disciples. That's the last time they had anything to drink. The night before. He was in Gethsemane. The Bible says he sweat as it were drops of blood. He was encountering the devil himself. He was up all night in a mock trial with a high priest and then scourged, ordered by Pilate, carrying his cross physically in the heat of the morning. And I I was there in the summer. This is in a, a hot spring day. And I was there in Israel, even in the city of Jerusalem, where this happened. We walked up uh, the road of De La Rosa there, the pathway of suffering. And uh, 
And it's hot there. It's humid there. And all that he went through is just literally a, a, a crucifixion naturally causes dehydration. And you factor all of this in and he became thirsty. But that's not why he said, I thirst. That's not why he said. In fact, he, he didn't say, I thirst until right before he died. Read the text. John 19, 28, he said, I thirst. And then in verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Why in the world did he request it right before he died? Because he was obedient to fulfill the prophecies. And in Psalm chapter 69, verses 20 and 21 There's a prophecy about the Lord Jesus when it says, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I'm full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. And look at this. They gave me also gall, G-A-L-L. That is a, a poisonous plant like hemlock. They gave me this this poison for my meat. Now, I think the writer, when David wrote this, it was true to him. Now, maybe they were trying to poison him or maybe in a metaphorical sense to him, he's saying it was like this, my food didn't even taste good. But to the Lord Jesus Christ, I think he's speaking here about the jeering and the mocking. They gave me maul and poison for my food. And in, watch this, and in my thirst... They gave, look at it. They gave me vinegar to drink. This was written hundreds of years before Calvary. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And Jesus said, I thirst, not because he was physically thirsty, though he was. Are you listening? It was because he was obedient. You want to be like Jesus? Look at the cross. Jesus was obedient to the will of God because he was attentive to the will of God. I want you to look in your text again. Look at John chapter 19 and verse 28. Every word in Scripture is important because every word is true. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished... And that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. I want you to look at this. Jesus knowing. Jesus knowing. The word knowing there means it's a knowledge that comes from awareness and perception. He was able to accomplish the Father's will and fulfill the Old Testament prophecy is because he was aware. Listen, he was aware of what was happening. He had an awareness. He was knowing what was happening. My friends, you will never be in the will of God until you have a perception for it. Until you're attentive to it. I say this not to adjust my crown because I do not have one, but sometimes it comes across as as self-righteous. And I don't mean for it to, but I want to help you. But from, from the time I was 17 years old and, and I, I, I came clean with God and I got right with the Lord, I have never had a difficult time with the will of God. 
It's never been difficult. I've had a hard time doing it because I didn't want to do it. But I have not had a difficult time knowing it. Because if you are attentive and you have a willing spirit, God will show you what he wants you to do. And Jesus, knowing what was to be accomplished, you say, well, well, Jesus was perfect and and he was sinless. Well, God will show you. He wants to show you his will. I think sometimes as preachers, we've made a mistake in, in using some verbiage that, that has not helped people with this. Let me give you one. We talk about finding the will of God. Finding the will of God. Well, where is it? Is it here? Is it here? Where is that? Where is that thing? Where is the will of God? Where is that? I can't find it. Where is it? Well, Rick found it. Daniel, I can't find it. I guess I'll just stop. I can't find it. Well, it's just not for me. Oh, I found it. It's right there. The Word of God... Is the will of God. Now listen carefully. If you don't know the word of God. You'll not be in the will of God. When I turned 17 years old. I began to read the word of God. Every day. I began to study the word of God. I began to meditate upon the word of God. And the will of God became clear to me. Jesus prayed. We'll we'll look at this. It was said of our Lord later, and I want to get to it today. We're not going to have time. But in Psalm 40 and verse 8, it says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Thy law is within my heart. I delight to do thy will, O Lord. Thy law is within my heart. Now, I want to show you a few things here. Your Bible is open there to John 19. Slip over to John chapter 13, just a few pages back. John chapter 13, and look at verse 1. John chapter 13 and verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, now this is the night before he was crucified, when they had the, the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, I have that underlined, Jesus knew that his hour was come. The disciples didn't know this. Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world under the Father. But Jesus knew. Jesus had a perception of the will of God. He could accomplish the will of God. He could check it off because he knew what it was. It wasn't mystical. It wasn't spooky. The father said, son, this is your assignment. This is what I have asked you to do. This is your assignment. Scoot over a few pages. is John chapter 18. John chapter 18. This is Jesus and he's in the garden of Gethsemane right before he's going to see Pilate in John chapter 18 and verse 14. Jesus, therefore, knowing, 
I have that underlined. Knowing that all things that should come upon him went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? He's talking to the soldiers there. Knowing that all things should come upon him. He was attentive and aware of the will of God. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, John chapter 19 and verse 28. Do you know the will of God? Are you serious about it? Are you willing to obey it? Are you accomplishing God's assignment for your life? Is it the most important thing in the world? Some of you are not fulfilling God's will for your marriage because you don't know what God's will for your marriage is. You say, well, well, preacher, I'm looking for what is God's will for my marriage? Let me see. What is God's will for my marriage? I can't. Oh, oh, there it is. Now, I'm going to tell you what's sad. We're having a marriage conference. And it's based on the Word of God. And if you can't come, you can't come. But some of you can come and you won't come. And you're not going to invest in your marriage. And listen, you're not going to know some things that's going to keep you within the boundaries of the will of God. And their boundaries of blessing. And then you're gonna call me one day. Say, Rick, I got trouble. And I don't know what happened. Now I'm not thinking of anybody. I don't have a person in my mind right now and say, I know what happened. Because you either didn't know what to do or you knew what to do and you didn't do it. Because either way you didn't take the time to apply it or you didn't take the time. To get involved with it. And this buddy that was up there in McDonald's. Either he didn't know what to do. And maybe he didn't. Maybe he was taught something else. Or worse. He knew what to do. And he just didn't want to behave it. But when I look at my Savior on the cross. He was hanging up there. And he was accomplishing. And he was fulfilling the will of God with obedience. You have your Bible open. Look at John chapter 19. Look at verse 30. John chapter 19 and verse 30. Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar. He said, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? Well, it's not. It's not his life. Because he rose from the dead. He's a living Savior. It's the plan of salvation is finished. His purpose was finished. He knew his purpose. I have taught you 500 times from the pulpit here that success is always assigned to purpose. Always assigned to purpose. If you don't understand purpose, you can't be successful because Because there's no finish line. What's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of parenting? What's the purpose of friendship? What's the purpose of church attendance? What's the purpose of of a sermon? What's the purpose of giving a sermon? What's the purpose of listening to a sermon? 
What's the purpose of Bible reading? Everything has a purpose. If you do not understand its purpose, you can't, you can't be successful. You can't accomplish. You can't check it off. Now, there's more. You have to embody it. You have to live it. But, but you can't fulfill that purpose. You cannot fulfill the purpose if you do not. As Jesus said, he knew it. He knew it. This is so simple that it's profound, but it's profoundly simple. I love this where you see the focus of Jesus. And I'm going to go through these scriptures very quickly. But in Luke chapter 12 and verse 50, Jesus is responding to a question from his disciples. And he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's speaking about his suffering at Calvary. And how am I straightened? That's an old English word which means to be very focused and intentional. And how am I straightened, so focused, till it be, now notice this, till it be accomplished. Till it's accomplished. He knew what his finish line was. It's accomplished. You're not just going to get married and hope things turn out. God has given you a job description. You're not going to have kids and hope things turn out. God's given you a job description. As a church member, God's given you a job description. God's given pastors job descriptions. And at work, He's given you job descriptions. Ephesians 6, Colossians 3. Again, Luke chapter 18 and verse 31. Then Jesus took unto Him the twelve, His twelve disciples, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. All things that are written by the prophets... Concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. The Old Testament prophets. Now, how did he know that? Because he was attentive to that. He was submissive to that. He was submissive to the Father's will. I'm going to accomplish God's purpose for my life. I love the Peterson song, John W. Peterson, Jesus led me all the way. If God should let me there review the winding paths. Of which I had walked, I will be able to say in heaven that Jesus led me all the way. But I won't be able to do that if I if I did not have a heart of obedience and submissive to say, God, you show me, you show me. Don't don't make me don't don't buy into this stuff. I know I've been a little sarcastic with it, but I'm telling you, most Christians are like this, and they give up. Or they just went, well, I'm just I'm trying to find God's will. I don't know. God, God, has, God has given you 66 books. Read it, study it, meditate upon it. And by all means, obey it and submit yourself to it. Oh, Lord, help us. Luke chapter 22 and verse 37, spoken just before his betrayal, the Lord said, For I say unto you that this is written, this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. That is going to Calvary, and he was reckoned among the transgressors. It must be accomplished. It must be accomplished in me. 
the Lord Jesus Christ was so intentional about his life. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 29, when Paul was preaching in one of the cities there about the cross, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 29, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. It had to be fulfilled because Jesus' heart was one of obedience. Now listen carefully. I'm not talking about you look at the cross and you have a part of your redemption. You do not. Jesus paid it all. He died for you. And you you have no part in your salvation or your redemption. He died for you. But I'll tell you what. You can have the same spirit He did. And the Holy Spirit of God, He's called the Spirit of Christ in other places, comes in to live in you. So that you can die like he did and live like he did, not to have any part in your salvation, but that you can have the same heart of obedience. So that you can be an accomplisher, so that you can be a a fulfiller in submission, in submission to his, his will for your life. This was Paul's great burden in his life. To, I'll use the alliteration of it, to find the will of God, to follow the will of God, and, and to finish the will of God. I'll tell you, here's how you find the will of God. Bob Jones Sr. said this, that happiness is stumbled upon in the pathway of obedience. I believe that. Happiness is stumbled upon in the pathway of obedience. I want to change it a little bit. The will of God is stumbled upon in the pathway of obedience. This is not rocket science. I met my wife in the pathway of obedience. Every church, every church I've ever been in, every church I've ever ministered in and served in, I I came across that church in the path. Oh, I need a church. Oh, where's the church? Where can I find a church to serve in? I need to find a church. Oh, can I find a church? Oh, is there a church? Is there a church that will have me? Just me and just walk in obedience. Just, just serve God. Just get your heart happy. Just do what God wants you to do. Just focus on obedience. God will give you a good husband. He'll give you a good wife. Well, I'm not sure. I, I don't know a whole lot about parenting. Just, just start obeying God. Just do what He tells you to do. And, and, and just do what you're supposed to do. The will of God, and I'll use the word stumbled, it's stumbled upon in the past. One day you wake up and you realize, well, how did, how did all that work out? How did all that work out? Because you had a heart to do what God told you to do. Notice what Paul said, and I love this, this is my heart. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, Paul said, But none of these things move me. They're they're telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to be put into prison. You may lose your life. He said, no, this does not move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. 
so that I might finish my course. The word course there means a race. It's the track that you run your, your life upon. And he uses a metaphor that the will of God is like running a race, but it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. He has given me a race to testify of the gospel of grace. This is my race. This is my wife. These are my kids. This is God's will for my life. These are my friends. This is my church. This is not complicated. And I want to finish my course with joy. I don't want to be famous. I don't want everybody bragging on me. I want God to say one day, hey boy, you did good. You did what I told you to do. Jesus, knowing, knowing that all things were accomplished in the Scripture might be fulfilled. What needs to what needs to be accomplished in your marriage and your parenting with your friends and in your church? What needs to be fulfilled? What is the will of God? Don't get spooky about it. What is God's purpose for your life? What are you supposed to do? Paul was preaching this idea again, and he mentioned John the Baptist. And the same thing was said about John, but Paul uses the same imagery in Acts chapter 13 and verse 25. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom do you think that I am? I am not he. That is, John said, I'm not Jesus. But there's coming one after me whose shoes of his feet I'm not worthy to loose. As John fulfilled his course, don't you listen to me. John finished his course within the will of God, getting his head cut off. Remember when um, Peter and John were talking with Jesus there at the end of John 21? And Pete, you know, Pete loved to talk. He's a good man, but he was a total extrovert. And he said, what's going to happen to me one day? And Jesus said, well, you're going to die like I did. You'll be crucified. And Pete wasn't expecting that. Remember what he said? Remember John? He said, what about him? Remember that? What about him? Do you remember what Jesus said? Now put it in our case, that's none of your business. What he said was this, what is that to thee? Whenever you get in comparison mindset, you're never happy. You just obey what God's given you. Just submit to God's plan for your life. Bloom where you're planted. Do what God has called you to do. And be able to say like Paul did. 
he was on his deathbed. Maybe he knew it, maybe he didn't, but these are some of the very last words he wrote. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And remember what he said in Acts 20. He said, I'm going to finish my course with joy. That was his desire. Now here he is. He's at the end and he knows it. I have finished my course. One day when you get at the end, will you be able to say, God, I have accomplished. I've checked these things off. And I fulfilled your assignment for my life. I did what you told me to do. After I got saved, I got baptized. I joined the church. I served God in that church. I read my Bible every day and got something out of it. I memorized it. I meditated upon it. I had a sweet Christ-like spirit. I witnessed for you. And you just began to obey God. You just began to walk in the pathway of obedience. You weren't going around looking for stuff in a mystical... You, you started serving God. What does God expect of me? This is what He wants me to do. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. God will open up doors. God will open up doors for you. And then one day you can look back like Paul did and say, I finished my course. But the key to that is here in John chapter 19 and verse 20. After this, Jesus knowing, knowing. Before you can accomplish, you can fulfill, you have to know something. You, you have to know this book. You have to love this book. And you have to love the Savior that it represents. And you have to surrender. And we'll finish this next time. You have to surrender to do what the Word of God tells you to do. Because the Word of God is the will of God. And it's good. It's good. I want you to bow your heads with me, would you?